and thanks for calling Sports Stories with Denny Lennon, the top-rated video podcast in the Sentinella Adobe Corridor. Please leave a message. Hey, Dad, it's uh, Vaughn. What's up? Long time. Um, just uh, see what you're up to. You still doing that, uh, that podcast sports thing or whatever? Uh, anyways, uh, give me a ring. Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, Sports Storians. Welcome to video, audio, podcast, number 73 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. It's all about miracles. That's because on February 22nd, we celebrated the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. That was the inspiration for this series, and we're in part number two. Miraculously, the producer is Marley Rice. Miraculously? I don't think that's a miracle at all. I've been doing this Mm. for like a year. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to begin off this second episode of our Miracle Special with Rusty Buchanan, president of the AAU. That's right. Rusty was, I think, only like our fifth or something um, he was interview. Third, but it's okay. Third? Okay. Third interview, and uh, he's a great story. He has a great story. So enjoy this uh, snippet of our interview with Rusty Buchanan. So that 1980 U- USA boycott. Yeah. Prior to that, that run up into it, you had some injuries, I think, going into the trials? Well, I was, pretty, I was pretty fit in 80. Um, okay. Uh, I, I was pretty, pretty good shape. Um, I was, I, I'd stayed on. I'd finished my collegiate eligibility at NC State, uh, but stayed on just for the sole goal of trying to make the, the, uh, the 80 Olympic, the 80 team. Olympic team. Um, and I had uh, done a little bit of crazy stuff. I had, you know, I told you I'd signed football and or track, and yeah. you know, at one point I'd signed a little deal to – play a little professional football and I found out after two or three days that up oh, this isn't for me these people are much bigger much faster yeah. and, and much meaner yeah. and much more serious than I am um, unfortunately some of the the legislation at that time was uh, was I a professional or was I an amateur okay you know? um, and depending on <clears throat> what had actually happened with with those trials uh, so uh, as the as the boycott came around I'd met the qualifying standard to go to go to the trials and actually had I been one of the top three actually going to the Olympic Games that year, I would still had to have made it, still had to be in the top three. So it would have had to have been a hell of a performance. I had to run faster than I, uh, I ever had, but I was in pretty good shape. So I noticed some um, pretty big names you ran against, like Edward Moses, Ronaldo Nehemiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was second in the ACC as a freshman okay. in the high hurdles, and I thought, okay, well, I've got, got a lot of time to go. Uh, the next year, University of Maryland signed Ronaldo Nehemiah, who was a world record holder. Wow. And, uh, so now I'm looking at second uh, in the high <laughs> yeah, hurdles. That's right. We trained with Charlie Foster uh, from oh, NC Central because oh, sure. he came over and trained in, at NC State. He was a silver medalist in, in the Olympic Games. And so then my fir- first forte, I said, well, let's move to the 400 hurdles. My very first race, the 400 hurdles, are at 50.33, which qualified me for the Olympic trials uh, and finished third oh, wow. behind Edwin Moses and Mike Shine. Jeez, and almighty. Mike Shine was a silver medalist and Mo- Edwin was, yeah. uh, was a gold medalist. So Edwin never got beat. Uh, yeah, he was, he was amazing. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about that um, when you when you heard that news on March 11 about the boycott. Did that? How did that like? Well, how did that affect you? We kind of knew. Um, 
there was a group of us uh, that had gone to Lake Placid mm-hmm. for the Winter Olympic Games. Oh, so you were there for uh, the miracle? Yeah, it was it was awesome, absolutely amazing. Lake Placid was it was a great place. Did the place just place. buzz when that happened? Oh, it's just un- un- unbelievable. The the sad story about that is, um, I had to buy the tickets, so we had to and we had ticket to that tickets to the rushing game. But when you bought the tickets, you didn't know who was going to be playing in that match. Okay. And so I'd gone up with my, my college girlfriend at the time and would spend all of our money. We had three three days before that. And I'm like, USA will never make it. We'll never be in that thing. So I sold the ticket and went home. So, <laughs> I've talked to people who left before so Kirk Gibson came up. I <laughs> sold the ticket and went home before. Oh, no. Eruzioni scores. Oh, like, Eruzioni, no. Do you believe in miracles? Oh, no. uh, we missed it. Okay. <clears throat> but you got part. You know, you were a part of this whole Olympic experience while you're there at Lake Placid. Yeah, I was. And, was, and was there a rumor that? Yeah, it, well, it wasn't just a rumor at that point. It was it was pretty well decided that uh, because the Russians had invaded Afghanistan that for us to participate. And uh, <clears throat> there were a few folks that were, were upset by that. Yeah. You know, I still had the the tough row uh, going ahead to be one of the top three, which would have been, mm-hmm. you know, finishing a little higher than I'd, I'd finished in the trials before. But... You know, that was my shot, I thought. Um, coming out of it, I thought, well, I'll hang on for four more years, maybe Los Angeles in 84. And, that's a long time. And, um, and, and, and give it a shot. And that's where I, I had some injuries right before. I was training with John Christ and Lee Pillay and, and Mauricio Bordalis, one of the best decathletes in the world. Uh, John made the team. Um, Lee Pillay wow. made the team. Wow. And I'd beaten both of them in the Florida Relays oh, just a geez. few months before. But uh, uh, it, was, it was a great experience. And, you know, Denny, I told you I tell these stories oftentimes about, you know, you go through that whole phase in your life, and the one most important thing is is, is that Olympic dream, that Olympic medal, sure. or, you know, be a part of that. And so occasionally I'll get a chance to go talk to schools or high schools or, or youth groups, and I, and I tell a story. Um, a few years ago, a friend of mine called that was working in Vancouver for okay. the Winter Olympic Games. He said, hey, Rusty, we want, uh, uh, we want you to come up here and help us. And I'm like, well, you know, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, your job's going to be to stand at the finish line of whatever event you are assigned that day. And even the assigning frequence or sequence was, was pretty cool. A member of the Canadian Forces would come in. A member of this international delegation would come in. We'd each draw from a, from a bucket, and we would pick a sport uh, and a medal. So it may be bobsled gold medal oh, and they'd pair us with the, the Canadian forces oh, that's we'd cool. go to the finish line oh, that's and we cool. would stand there and wait for the gold medalist and the oh, bobsled to finish kidding. and then for the whole rest of the day we that would escort so cool. them through the d- protocol through doping through <laughs> country through back to the, the athletes village so you are living that Olympic experience with, with the meddling athletes in the evening our job was to take them into uh, the Award ceremony would take them up up there, would release them to the ceremonies people. They'd take them up on stage, give them their medal, and then they'd come back off the stage, and they were re-released to us until we released them back later that night. So we're driving around with these Olympic oh, medalists you and be stories, and it was just and then, just what an amazing, amazing experience to be right in the part of that. And at the very end, we were called into the sport performance. Um, our sports production office. I'm like, oh, man, okay. they're going to yell at us because a lot of the crazy things we did we probably shouldn't sure, have done. You know, sure. we're hanging Spank out over. on the rings and drank, <laughs> you know, these, these Olympic athletes and doing some stuff that I'm not going to tell you on your podcast. <laughs> right, right. And I can imagine. I know you're great time. But they brought us into the room, and, and the, the head of the sports production said, you know, 
the Olympic Manus is the most important Olympic sport is not to have conquered all, but to have taken part. Mm. And most people don't realize, but there's not just three, the gold, the silver, the bronze medal, but there's also the participation medal. Sure. Given to all the participants because the most important thing is to have taken part. Sure. And so we would like to present you with your Olympic participation medal for taking part in these Olympic Games. So in 2010 in Vancouver, a winter Olympic sport, as an administrator, I get an Olympic medal. And it goes, and, and the story I like to tell to these kids is, you know, don't ever give up, and you never know where the opportunity to fulfill your dream will come. So now that is beautiful. I've got an Olympic medal from Vancouver Olympic Games <laughs> as an administrator on the bobsled. Look out. That's all right. <laughs> but that's it's all right. Cool. Okay, that was great catching up with Rusty. Rudy Tom Jonovich is next, and Rudy was a champ and a Hall of Famer when it came to uh, figuring out how to get on our show. Yeah, he was. I want to give him a shout-out on that one. So the audio's not great on this, but we, you know, persevered, and it's Rudy T, so we got to add him into the Hall of Famer. Episode. Rudy T. So enjoy the snippet with Rudy Tom Jonovich. You got to be just thrilled to be inducted, to know you're going to be inducted into the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm still flying on uh, cloud nine. Yeah, what a, and, and you're going in with quite a class. And I made mention of the fact that you actually coached Kevin Garnett on your Olympic team. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I... I was in uh, L.A. for a half a season coaching and got to experience the great uh, Kobe Bryant. And, and that was one of the gifts of my career. And in 2000, uh, in Sydney, uh, Kevin Garnett was on that team. And what a great player, what a great leader uh, he is and uh, helped uh, us bring home the gold. Tell a little bit about coaching Elijah well, yeah, really, uh, Akeem Olajuwon is the key to my success as a coach because you don't win without great players. And he was truly a fantastic player and a, and a great human being. And, uh, you know, when I inherited the team, he was already an all-star and all that. But, you know, what we did is we changed the spacing. Uh, I really believed in, in spacing and how we spaced the floor with him. And uh, teams have to double team. So we put guys right in his vision. We didn't cut them through the lane where the defender could sort of hide and then come back and double team. And, uh, you know, he could he could still score when I got him. But what really improved is his passing and he would hit his teammates, and, and we got some really good shooters like Kenny Smith and and uh, Vernon Maxwell and, and uh, you know, Mario Alley made a big uh, shot in the playoffs, and Sam Cassell. Uh, all those guys, you know, really fit real well with Akeem, and what made him a champion was not only his great rebounding defense and things like that, but when he he started making passes. I looked at my players uh, as positive assets and uh, they had something to offer. And I, it was my job to find a way to put them in an environment where they could do those things. And uh, 
you know, some guys do that. Some guys just have a system that stays the same and they try to get players to run that system. I try to uh, look at the players I have and uh, then devise the system to their strengths. And, uh, you know, that Choke City thing was really, uh, really a depressing time. So we had two 20-point leads against the great uh, Phoenix Suns team with Barkley and KJ uh, and their great shooters, Danny Ainge and uh, Marley. Uh, so we go up on those guys, and then all of a sudden, we start playing uh, conservative and, uh, you know, too careful, and they get the momentum and they turn it around on us. And as we leave town, we see the newspaper and in headlines across the front page, it says Choke City. And you know, I'm thinking that that's gonna be attached to me the rest of my life if we don't turn this thing around. And, uh, you know, me and the assistant coaches talked and, and you know, how do you, how do you get your team to believe again? And, you know, I just said, you know what? It's just common sense. We're good enough to get up twice. You're good enough to get up on a team. You're good enough to beat them. And we just got to play, you know, stay aggressive. So when we, when we showed the video, we, <clears throat> we showed how we lost the lead and how we were passing up open shots. We were being tentative. And then we put on the positives, how we got that 20 point lead. And I could, as I was watching the players reaction and, you know, uh, we were praising them and, and, you know, really firing up that, hey, these guys can't stop you. If we play rocket ball, uh, you know, we're going to beat them. And uh, I, I remember Vernon Maxwell in that third game there in, in Phoenix just exploded and had two great halves of basketball. And, and then we just pecked away and, and finally beat those guys and, and moved on in the playoffs. Never underestimate the heart of a champion. How, how did you come up with, with those words? Coach? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, well, I didn't, uh, it wasn't original. It was, uh, I got it from that team, from the Phoenix Suns. And uh, after we beat them, uh, Kevin Johnson said, you know, they're so hard to beat because they have the heart of a champion. And, and I liked how that sounded. Charles said, those guys are like a Texas roach. You step on them and you think they're dead, but you pick up your foot and they scurry away. So I thought it would be a better analogy to say the heart of a champion than uh, let's go roaches, you know. <laughs> okay, Rudy T. Uh, hey, that makes two now in the Basketball Hall of Fame that we've talked to him in um Jerry West. Yep. And now next up, we have Sports Story's favorite, Norm Bass. It is. He is our favorite. He is such a fun person and an a inspirational guy, and his story is unbelievable. Hope Norm Bass is doing great out there. Let's put him up. As this started, these years started to pile up, I would imagine you really missed competing. Well, what had happened was that uh, that's when I found table tennis. Mm-hmm. I found table tennis after about 15 years, mm -hmm. 
and the first thing I said, I wonder, can I play that? Okay. So I go in there, and they got these different kind of paddles. They got all kind of rubber. They got all kind of rules. I don't even know the rules. This is at um, Rogers Park? Rogers Park. Yeah. So I tried to play with a conventional paddle, but it was too heavy for my strength that I had at the time. Mm. I had to take a Motrin to play every time I played. And, and, and did you have to grip the paddle in a different way because of your uh, Well, I had to hold it RA? in such a way, and, and I couldn't hit a, a conventional stroke. I had to push the ball. I see. And I had to play defense. So that so, but the paddle was too heavy. Okay. So then I picked up another paddle, and it felt just right. That was called a hard bat. Mm. No sponge. It's just rubber on the wood. Mm-hmm. And I started using that, and I got that down where I'm pitching again. I'm changing speeds. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm hitting it hard. I'm hitting it soft. I'm moving it. So then I got excited. And all of a sudden, my whole thing was fulfilled through table tennis. Um, I find this interesting. They talk so so this Rogers Park. It was like it was the the hub of people that are playing table tennis, and and somebody says in in the book they say um, the strange thing about Norm is that he's able to take the skill he developed in the professional world world coordinate it with table tennis play and then bring in a different personality. We never had a person go figure. We never had a personality like Norman before in table tennis. Before everyone was tremendously serious no jokes on the sideline or anything because the concentration was as intense as it could be the concentration was that serious norman came in and in his own way broke up that seriousness everybody started enjoying playing table tennis with a lot of camaraderie and joke about a good shot you could intimidate another player but in a fun way they, so you, they wouldn't so you even clear their throat up in there. It was so quiet that you clear your throat up, somebody going to cuss you out. Because you're supposed to be quiet. They wanted to hear the ball hit the table. They wouldn't speak. They wanted to fight. And so I didn't know the rules. I come in there talking, like always. And they said, man, you can't talk. I said, where are the rules at? What the rules say you can't talk? And I'm talking. And then finally they started getting into that. Then they started having fun. But it was a morgue in there, man. 30 guys sitting around the room in there. Nobody said a word. Oh, man. How are you going to have fun with that? You're not. Uh, and they were so serious about the rubbers and the, about somebody call a bad call. And I didn't care about that. I went down there every week and took my whipping for about a month. For about a month. <laughs> then when I saw what they was doing, I said, now nah, I got to get the ball down lower over the net. And I got to push it around. And I got to stay out of the guy's strength unless I want him to hit it. And okay. I started thinking like a pitcher. Okay. And then I start beating them guys on just knowledge. So like a pitcher, location, right. change of speed. And a pitcher, I don't care how old he is, he can remember what a guy hit when he was eight. <laughs> if, if you can't remember that, then you're not a good pitcher. So you're remembering each of these players, their tendencies. Well, this guy was hitting topspin. Mm-hmm. And topspin is a dangerous shot. And it was just coming into table tennis then. Mm-hmm. This one guy could hit it this way with topspin and he could hit it this way Mm -hmm. but when he hit the topspin his arm is way over here and I say if I push that thing over here he can't get his arm back Mm -hmm. so I started making him hit like this because he (laughs) Mm -hmm. he couldn't get his arm back so I started moving the ball around and I started hitting the corner of the tables a lot and they called me Mr. Chips And that's how I got the name, because I would chip the edge so, and chip the. They didn't like that. that. Was that Cindy Parker played him? And yeah. I did it yeah. consistently. Okay. And so I changed all of that. Um, so, so, so Norm, obviously, uh, what was the process of going from like playing at Rogers Park 
what, what, did they have tournaments that you could then like? Well, they in-house tournaments, but what what happened? They got tournaments all over Southern California. Mar Vista was one of them. Sure, that was the first tournament I played in. They took they took me up there to play in a tournament. I never played. Hmm. And when you play in a tournament, I didn't even have a rank. They got rankings, mm -hmm. and they have to watch you play, and they give you a ranking when you mm -hmm. start. So I played in the tournament. I went through that group so fast. I'm sitting down waiting on the other bracket. <laughs> For the guy to get to the end, and I waited about an hour. I had beat them guys to death. They couldn't deal with that little stuff, that little soft stuff and all that. And I beat them, and I won, won the tournament just on the first one. <laughs> then when I went down to Laguna, I played in the tournament, and I had they, they matched me up with a German, with a Russian junior champ. Oh, wow. I take him to the wire. Okay. And then they gave me a rating when that was over. They gave me a rating uh if you are rated over 2,000, that's elite tennis, table tennis. Okay. My first rating was 2,015. Wow. Most people get 1,500, 1,600. So that identifies you so that, so that whoever is running our United States table tennis program, all of a sudden you're identified, and then subsequently on some level you're, you're classified as a Category 7 as it relates to the well, Paralympic Games. Uh, is uh, that category right? Category 7 has to do with Paralympics. Mm -hmm. Category 7 is depends on your disability. Mm -hmm. you got to have something wrong with the top part of your body as well as the bottom to be a 7. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are rated that way. But this other rating is for able-bodied table tennis players. And uh, you can't play nobody lower than you by the I rating. See. Not unlike getting a handicap in golf or something along these lines, but table tennis... Obviously, being an Olympic sport, it's much more precise. But a, but a person who has a disability, he has to play able-bodied players in tournaments. They don't have no special thing for you. You got to pay them. How do you make a? How do you make like the national team and then move towards qualifying for the Paralympic Games? You how have to go out of the country at mm -hmm. least one time. Okay. And you have to get to the, at least to the quarterfinals, and you got to you got to beat somebody. Mm. And they give you a rating, and they take 12 guys to the Olympics and that kind of thing. And you have to be in that group. Where'd you go? Uh, that's when I went to Australia. I was ranked number five. Wow. Now, how did you get that, how did you get that high of a, a... I beat some guys that was better than me and had higher ranks. <laughs> I beat the butt. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did any of these guys, like, were they upset about the, your style oh, of play? Oh, they wouldn't shake my hand. They'd what, get mad. Like your style of play? Did that they, take they them get off? they get mad. they walk off. I, I got... Seven chips in a row with a guy. Hit the net. Brr, brr, and the guy got mad and threw the ball at me. 100 miles an hour, he threw the ball. And I moved to here. And we got a, there's a judge and a referee sitting right there. They don't say nothing to the guy. Wow. I called time. I said, hey, man, you see what this guy just did? Aren't you going to tell him something? And they get the judge and referee didn't say nothing. Because, you know, we are Americans. And Americans get the wrong end of everything when you go out the country. Sure. So they said uh, he didn't say anything. I said, well, let, excuse me for a minute. I walked around the table. I told that dude, I said, hey, man, you hit another ball like that. You fool around and hit me with the ball. I'm better at this now. I'm going to beat your butt. <laughs> yeah. So when I beat him, he walked off the table and walked all the way around the venue and wouldn't shake my hand. Oh, man. I followed him. All the way around till he sit down over here and made him do it. I said, come on now, give it up. Made him do it. Made him do it. <laughs> oh, man. So you qualify for Sydney Olympics. For the That's how so, I qualify. So, so uh, for those that don't know, the Paralympics are married very closely to the Olympic Games. I mean, they either they, take place before or after. They play 
every place the Olympics plays, but they play like two weeks after they finish. Mm -hmm. We have bigger crowds. We had 100,000 people at the opening ceremony. Wow. wow. And then, you know, in the, in the United States, you'd be lucky to get 20 people to watch a table tennis match. Now, that's that's got to be exciting. Um, I understand, um, I think, Claudia, who we both know, for, I know from the YMCA. You've known her for years. Um, she hosted a, a going-away party at her house before you took off for Sydney. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And that must have been fun, and that must have made you proud to be wearing, you know, the uh, well, official gear. And all of them was there at the thing. Rosie. Uh, Rosie Greer. Uh, Ollie Matson was there. Lou Johnson. All them guys. Because I know all them guys. They were there. And, they're, uh, and, and they, they gotta were be, there. they got to be tripping out on you. What, you're 61 at the time? Well, 61, that was yeah. almost unheard of, man. You're, you're, you're like 60. You're going to be playing all these younger younger guys. 18, 19, and I'm whipping their butt, man. And, and, and you're about to take off for Sydney. Did you um, – I would imagine you're a confident athlete. You probably didn't get nervous much. Did this make you nervous? No. No? No. I, I wanted to know could I beat this guy. Uh -huh. I wanted to know. I, it wasn't that he was too good and I was going to panic. It wasn't that. I was never I, I was never afraid of the challenge. Uh -huh. I played the number one player from Germany. Couldn't know the United States player beat this guy at the time. And this is in Sydney? This is in Sydney. Uh -huh. He got the camera set up over there filming the match because he just figured he could send that back to Germany and, it, and he was going to whoop me right quick. Mm -hmm. He won the first game. I win the second one. Mm. Now we got to go three. I said, I bet you'll take those cameras now. now won't you? <laughs> so he took the cameras down. And I'm chopping the ball, and this guy's crying trying to hit it back. <laughs> He's the number one player in the world. He's crying. He couldn't hit the chop because nobody chopped. I was the first one to bring the chop to the game. You know, I lean back on your fastball. I can catch it, and I chop it. And the English comes back this way. And when they hit the table, you try to push it, they go down in the table. I was doing that to these guys. So the German was the number one ranked guy? Yeah. And you took him out. He wanted me to move to Germany. <laughs> he wanted he, me to be in said, their, on their club. Das Brecken der Deutsch. And then when I be walking around in China alone, I don't even know these people. They be walking around imitating my chop. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. So to take me through the tournament in, in Sydney. You beat the German in the in, – in the, uh, is it is it single elimination bracket players? No, I didn't beat him. I beat him a game, but we couldn't beat him. But he we had to go three. So it was a pool, is a pool play followed by bracket play? How did, how did the Olympic Games Well, work? the Olympic Games is this way. you got to play one doubles and mm -hmm. the rest of them singles. you got to mm -hmm. win three games in order to advance. Mm -hmm. And me and my buddy had to play two singles and a double. Mm -hmm. Now, the Germans had the, the best doubles team in the world. Mm-hmm. And me and him never played together, but we was on the team because we had to make up something. We beat them in, in double. We beat the number one team. Wow. But we couldn't beat them in single. Okay. And so how did you get into bracket play? Or, I mean, how did you get into metal play? What the, well, that's when I got to bronze. Yeah. We, we had to beat this team to win that, and mm. we beat another team. We beat Switzerland. And, and when, once you beat Switzerland, you knew you had secured the bronze? Well, it was for the bronze. It was for the bronze. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that must uh, have been a, a, a pretty good feeling, huh, knowing you're getting Well, that's when medal. my brother showed up. Yeah. Dick came. I had a sponsor then that sponsored all my clothes and money and everything. Uh, yeah. And this guy bought a ticket, a round-trip ticket for, for Dick, for Norman, and for Purvis. Wow. Who and did I that? didn't know this. Who did that for you? What was his name? Uh, he went to jail shortly after. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he had a business down there on Wilshire. 
But he went to jail. No kidding. It's something he did way back with racket. Nothing to do with your uh, no. syndicate of a tennis. No, he was giving me ten thousand uh, dollars every quarter, every year, and I buy equipment and anything I wanted to buy. And uh, that's okay. And I'm playing this guy for the for the bronze. I won the first game, and he got me fourteen to two. Ooh. And the game is 21, and it, that particular day, arthritis was kicking my butt. Oh, man. So all of a sudden, I hear this voice came from the stands, and it was my brother, man. Oh, wow. But I gave one up just like that. Oh. And I beat that guy 21 to 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It ran off 19 on him. It ran him off on him. And the chop, he was scared to death <laughs> of the chop. And Dick said, come get that ham. Don't let that sucker beat you. Wait, what did Dick say? <laughs> come, come, said, come, come get <laughs> this ham. And I brought my game out, and I started chopping this guy, beating him to death. And this guy won the gold in his in his class. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what was Lex been on that uh, medal stand? Uh, we it was great, man. It was great. We were standing up there, and 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 the whole thing when you come into the arena is it goes up like that, right? Mm-hmm. Fifteen thousand people average every mm. game. Your name is up on the thing. Your country's on name mm-hmm. on there. His name, and they escort you around the table to your table. It was all first class, man. Mm. Butterflies, all that. I didn't get none of that. I couldn't hardly wait to get to these cats. Yeah. <laughs> so you, so you got your bronze medal, yep. and now, um, when did you meet? Like, what happens after Sydney? When did you meet President Clinton? I saw a picture of you uh, I shaking met him hands in, with him. I met him in uh, November of, of 2000. He was on the way out. Mm. I met him in November. He was the first president that had the Paralympics and the Olympics come together at one banquet. Okay. He's the first one that did that. And, you, then, and that was in Washington, D.C. What did you say to the president? Anything? Uh, when I come in the room, man, he was standing up there. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, I want to know about the Oval Room. <laughs> and them guys reached in their pockets to get the gun. And, and Clinton said, we're going to have to talk, me and you. That's what he said to me. I said, show me what the Oval <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of our Olympic special. Make sure you tune in next week for part three. Have a good week, guys. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by Christine Jinbo and me, Marley Rice. Directed by Chris M. Alport with studio support from Alpha Command Unit and shot by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc., You can find us on audio platforms everywhere and the High School Narrative iOS app. You can also view Denny's shows on Roku, Apple TV, and Fire TV. Make sure to press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. Hey, you know what else would help us grow the show? Hustle on over to patreon.com slash Denny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all our social media links, hustle on over to sportsstoriesdl.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. The My Stuff Bags Foundation, with the help of thousands of people across the country, provides children in unfortunate situations with new belongings and new hope through its innovative My Stuff Bags program. Heroes Movement is a nonprofit that bridges the gap from therapy to getting strong again through small group workouts for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces for free. 
Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We want to give a big thank you to our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Sports Stories thanks all of our followers and listeners. And we will will see see you you next time. time. Hey, thanks, Marley. Thanks, Chris. Someone told me long ago There's a calm before the storm Well, I know It's called Sports Stories And when it's over, so they'll say Sports Stories, you know, is on its way Well, I know It's coming down like water Kick it out, book!